0: I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. Understanding listening at a first glance seems so simple yet it's not. Graham Bodie, an internationally recognized communication scholar, facilitator, and speaker, explains that listening actually encompasses a broad cross-disciplinary field beyond what we typically consider. Graham's work is devoted to helping organizations and individuals listen better. Enjoy listening in. Graham, it is so great to have you here on the Listen In Podcast, and I'm really excited to dive into our conversation today.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
0: You know so much about listening, and there's so many things that you're doing, so we'll just dive in and see where the conversation takes us today. I'd love to know when you started um, becoming interested in listening research, or what brought you to your listening research?
1: I wish I could say like, well, I've, you know, I've always, since I was a little bitty child, always thought I would be a listening researcher. Right. Um, and that's not the case. Uh, I really didn't find that path until uh, I was already in graduate school at Auburn University doing my master in communication. I had a professor by the name of Margaret Fitchhauser, who happened to be the current editor of the International Journal of Listening. And a past president of the International Listening Association. And she came to class one day and asked if there was anybody interested in participating, helping with a research project. And uh, at that point, I thought that sounded interesting, you know, so I raised my hand and uh, I just was fascinated. I went to her office and she had two or three file cabinets um, just full of. Uh, past conference papers. This is when like people actually printed things off on paper and right. <laughs> made photocopies. Like put dimes in photocopy machines, um, and and she had this you know this file cabinet full of things. And I just thought, wow, like each one of these people was the first one to know this thing. And I just, I don't know, it just kind of for whatever reason, I had this like epiphany, this moment where I just was like, I'd really like to know some things about listening, uh, you know, like most people, I assume that we just kind of knew everything there is to know about this fundamentally important human art and capacity. And and yet, most of the things that you read about listening are either, you know, based in, you know, either psychotherapy or some other context that isn't necessarily um, 100%, you know, uh, uh, generalizable to other contexts like close personal relationships and friendships, uh, or it's you know folk wisdom that may or may not actually bear out in all situations. That there may be some situations where whatever that advice is or whatever that rule is may not actually work. And, and it was just those kinds of those kinds of insights in, into you know what what is this thing that we call listening, and and what it, what is. You know why do a lot of people think it's so easy and when it when in fact the literature kind of points to the to the the basic fact that it's quite complex and in all its complexity, it just seemed sort of beautiful to me like that there's just this thing that I could know something about and then actually help people through that process and so um very early on in that kind of journey to defining my own research trajectory like looking for a thesis topic and so forth, it just kind of you know, fell in, I fell in, you know, it was, it was fortuitous or or luck or whatever the case might be. Um, and, and then, you know, that, so Margaret kind of set me on that trajectory. And then when I went to, um, study my my PhD work, um, I, um, was, was recruited by this person at Purdue university. That was an expert in comforting communication and social support. And he was uh, interested in me coming with my background in that listening and human information processing, um, to, to work on a particular theory that he had started to develop at that time. And, and so that my, my specific research is, um, you know, listening as a, as a mechanism or, or behavior or attitude of, uh, you know, within social support, particularly within close relationships. Um, and sort of, you know, that, that, again, that trajectory was just I was happening to study with somebody that had that expertise and was on his research team and kind of carved out my own niche within, you know, what he uh, was able to, to to teach me and what his expertise was in. So it just, it's about people, I guess. It's about relationships. It's about, um, you know, being inspired by someone or a small group of people and then finding your own voice within that, within that you know, uh, relationship.
0: You know, there's a couple of things that you said that kind of stick out to me. Um, number one, that often we think it's really easy. But actually, once you dive into it, we realize how big and how complex it is and you know how we experience listening, what we've learned about it. You know, and we haven't really put much thought probably into it. We just assume it happens. And then what you said right now, that it's about people, and it's also about finding our voice. So there's a lot of different sides of the coin here when you're speaking. When you think about when Margaret asked you to take part in the research... And then you're like, whoa, what is all of this? This is amazing. And then you are where you are now. I and mean, when you look at your journey now and your tra- trajectory that you, that this this work has taken you on, um, what is it that you know now about what listening is that you didn't realize maybe at the beginning of your journey?
1: Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think like many, I assume that, that listening was this kind of, fundamentally a, a cognitive or a physiological process i don't know if i would have used that language back then but um i don't know how it would have explained it but you know listening is just you know what sounds come into the ear and how our you know brain you know and, and different kind of cognitive processes how, how that um you know happens to work and, and that's true listening is um at, at some level a, a complex set of cognitive processes but it's much more than that so you know, the way that I define listening now is, is that um, I, I call it the ABCs uh, of listening. It's, it's attitudinal or sort of affectively based. You know, it's, it's a motivation. It's a, you know, wh- whether you want to call it listening to the self or figuring out how you're picking up on all of the available information in your environment, what you are and are not paying attention to, what you are and are not ignoring Uh, in the environment, whether it's, you know, sounds of nature or sounds of an individual uh, or, you know, the cocktail party phenomenon, whatever the case might be, there's this notion of, you know, and I think, you know, psychologists and and, and, uh, others call it attention. Some people call it sensing. Others call it, you know, I just call it the affective uh, components or the affective processes that are involved in listening. And so it's this, you know, fundamentally motivational, like my willingness to Um, And my, you know, where where I'm placing my attention. Sometimes that's a conscious decision and sometimes it's an unconscious decision. There's all kinds of implicit biases that plague uh, and distort our listening. And and the B refers to behaviors, the things that you do. And, you know, for whatever reason, academics had this kind of vigorous debate in the 80s and 90s about whether the responding portion of listening was actually listening or some other process. And, And I Prefer to, to keep it within listening because the way that we judge people as good or bad listeners, the way in which we come to the conclusion that this person is a competent listener is solely based on those responses, on those behavioral components of listening. And so, you know, we, we say, oh man, she was such a great listener. Oh, man, she was a terrible listener. She's not really, you're not listening to me. And And I don't say those things because I don't think you have a motivation to do so. I don't say that you're a good or bad listener because I opened up your you know, your head and I peered in and I saw all the things going on inside your brain. I do that because you said things or you, you, you behaved, um, you know, uh, bodily in a way that seemed to signal to me that you were or were not either taking me seriously. I didn't feel heard after that conversation because of those verbal or nonverbal uh, components. And so that the behavior, the B part of that is important. And of course, then the cognitions are also important. So I just take a more holistic, I guess, now approach to what listening is, defining it very broadly. I also, you know, sort of, you know, was was victim, if you will, to the um, the my own disciplinary biases, thinking that all listening research happened within the field of communication, within you know the, the discipline of communication, and in fact, listening is a multidisciplinary field of study. Um, that's approached differently by audiologists and biologists and psychologists and sociologists and sound study scholars, and the list goes on and on and on so you know it's it's this sort of really robust if you if you define it very broadly both in terms of the of the complex processes that are involved to do it well as well as the many disciplines and professions that there are that either study it or try to practice it in particular ways. it really becomes a very robust and interesting and potentially Consequential across the academic and practitioner landscape, um, set of skills that we all need to do better.
0: I know that when we had talked before the podcast, you you have a, a book that just came out. It was it's called the Handbook of Listening. You were talking about how this book was looking at uh, listening from a lot of different perspectives. Is that connected to what you just said?
1: Yeah, I mean, and so Deborah Worthington and I, my co-editor, we've done two books together. And the handbook is something that we have been thinking about since about 2007, 2008, my final two years of of Ph.D. work. Um, And we, you know, kind of uh, when we were working on the project, uh, you know, over the kind of 18 months that it took us to really nail down chapters and do all the kind of editing kind of stuff. uh, You know, looking back at our notes when we started to put that proposal together, we had started working on it. Yeah, like 10 years 10 years before we actually put put you know pen to paper all That's ago. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, um, and 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 it's wow. inter- it was interesting to see the progression of what the table of contents looked like on that first iteration versus what that table of contents looked like um, in the final iteration. It was again it was much more expansive attempting to really bring together all of the different disciplines, all of the different ways that listening is taught across different kinds of um, you know, K through 12, as well as higher education and other kind of professional fields with adult learners. Um, yeah. So the, the book really is a reflection of that notion that listening is a field of study. It's not a discipline. It is not approached in one way. It isn't one thing. It's defined in hundreds of different ways. And that's OK. I think it, 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 it because it is such a Um, rich um, uh, area of study, it deserves to be studied from all these different perspectives. And we tried to represent that, right, as best as we could inside the confines of, you know, a couple of hundred pages.
0: Which is not that easy. (laughs) No, no, it's not. I'm sure that um once people look into that, then it probably takes them in all different directions. You probably can go a lot deeper. Um so you know this podcast, there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast that work in organizations or on teams. I know that you also do quite a bit of um work with with teams. So when you think about what you learned, what you put into the handbook, and the, all the different ways of listening, but do you have something you'd like to share with the audience that beyond what they typically think of in listening that might support? teams or organizations?
1: Absolutely. I've I've been working for the past three or four years with um, a company called Echo Listening Intelligence and their Echo Listening Profile. They reached out to me because of my, um, uh, you know, psychometric work, my research on scale development. uh, And they wanted to um, basically kind of put the echo to the validity test. So, so does it stand, you know, do, do the items hang together? Um, is it measuring what it you know purports uh, to measure? Does it have any you know kind of theoretical and statistical legs to stand on, if you will? Um, and the the kind of the the main advantage of that particular tool, which really looks at these four primary habits of listening, um, you know, it suggests that um, one of the primary reasons that you know teams can experience dysfunction that you know. Uh, in, an, in an organization, you know, eight people can go to the same meeting and come away having thought they went to eight different meetings. And the explanation from a listening perspective is, is that we're all listening to and for different types of information when we're presented a, 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 a the same, you know, a, a, you know, text or video or or speech or you know, set of whatever um, oral information uh, when we're sitting in a meeting. You know, we're all we're all paying attention to a little bit different thing. You know, I might be paying attention a little bit more to how this information is impacting other people. Another individual might be paying a little bit more attention to how that information is impacting them and their current needs and goals. Another individual may be paying more attention to the, the sort of what is the data, how this is, you know, how this is going to be um you know uh possible given our current budget restraints and then another individual might be thinking what are all the possibilities that this information is suggesting like all the you know kind of ideations and the abstract possibilities within that and be- because of those different sort of perspectives um you know we we might be arguing at some point we might be having some conflict at some point you know because um you know we're because we are paying attention to that information differently Um, And so teams can benefit a lot from, first of all, awareness of how I show up as an individual, as a listener, recognizing that other people show up differently as listeners, trying to um, kind of figure out, or if if everybody on the team takes the profile, knowing that my other team members are showing up differently so that I can speak into their listening style um, a little bit differently when I'm presenting. That if I can craft my message, knowing that I have certain types of listeners in my audience, people who have certain habits of listening, right, and and then that interaction, uh, you know, among teams um, can can benefit from um, appreciating wh- what you know a lot of people are now calling cognitive diversity. So this is one kind of uh, measure of cognitive diversity. Appreciating that that cognitive diversity. Um, is advantageous for the company's bottom line, for the effectiveness and the productivity and the efficiency of teams. It's not the case that we ought to have, you know, everybody in the room listening the exact same way. Rather, we should have different types of listening represented in that room so that we can get a more rich, robust, um, you know, uh, perspective um, on that information Um, But but oftentimes those differences, those different ways of of coming to conclusions, those different ways of thinking and listening that they cause miscommunication and all the frustrations that happen and all the time that you spend trying to correct those misinterpretations and those misunderstandings. Right. So um, some some basic kind of uh, awareness that that I show how I show up and how that might frustrate someone who shows up differently and how we can work together better. Um, that's really what that tool allows uh, in in the context of, of teams working uh, together.
0: Yeah, I can just imagine people having have a an argument, or the team is just in discussing. They're going around in a hamster wheel. And um, yeah, if they would only realize that maybe they are listening at these different levels of or the complexity of the situation at hand from different perspectives, and then able to bring that together, then that's where uh, they could really find some great solutions to their problems or find new ways of doing things than they would otherwise, but probably they're more worried about being right or wrong. And then that gets in the way.
1: Yeah. They're more worried about like, well, my perspective is important, which is true. Um, but your perspective may or may not be any more important than someone else's in that meeting. Regardless of hierarchy within the organization, with regardless of, 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 whether, you know, you hold some degree of power that someone else doesn't hold, um, yeah. And so, you know, it becomes this sort of activity of, you know, understanding and, and really the, the more important part is that we're not born this way. We aren't born being a certain type of listener. We learn to be certain types of listeners in, you know, from a young age. And then, of course, within an organization, we learn that certain types of listening are advantageous and, and, and you know, uh, potentially create certain challenges uh, and so, you know, we're, what what we're trying to do with this profile is not necessarily make everybody a one type of listener, but rather we're trying to, you know, bring um, awareness that there are multiple ways in which people can listen. That those different ways of listening have their own strengths and challenges. Um, that that there isn't like an ideal way of listening universally speaking in all contexts. Right? That's true for everyone in all contexts. So what are the ways in which we can show up in this situation with these people that will be the best way to be a listener in that context? That's the shift of thinking with respect to listening versus what you find in, you know, Forbes or these other, you know, which is, you know, is great. I'm glad people are writing about listening. Don't get me wrong. I think some of these tips are really awesome, but the same five or 10 tips are kind of recycled and repeated over and over again. And, you know, maintaining eye contact is not going to be the 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 salve that you know covers the wound no. of, of poor listening. It's just not going to be, you know, or paraphrasing somebody is great. But like how are you doing that? And are you sure that you're doing it the right way given what they need in that situation? And so it becomes a more sort of nuanced and complex way to think about how we show up as listeners, rather than everybody ought to be robots and behave the exact same way.
0: Well, to be honest, when when I'm when I'm doing workshops and I ask people, uh, so think of someone who helped you through listening, and what was the characteristic of that type of listening that helped you? I've never had anybody say it was eye contact and paraphrasing. <laughs> right. Never. Right. <laughs> It's usually no judgment, acceptance. You know, right. um, making you know, asking a great question. You know, things that made me think more. You know, those types of things. I mean,
1: it's what's that? The, I don't know who it's attributed to, but the quote goes something like, "You know, you don't remember what people say, but you do remember how they make you feel."
0: Right, <laughs> right. Uh, and
1: so that's that's the power of listening. And when you listen well, people feel heard. And when people feel heard, they feel respected and valued. And then inside an organization, when they feel respected and valued, they stay. And they work harder and they're more productive. Right. And so that is the power within an organization of teaching teams to listen better to each other.
0: Okay, so let's go into that. If you're thinking about the power in organizations, um, you know, listen, bringing listening into an organization and so that listening can actually bring value to the organization. There's different levels. You know, there's there's board level, you know, management, executive level, which, which is probably where it's the toughest place to listen. You have team level. You have individual level. Um, how Do you have any examples of how organizations can bring listening to these different levels so that you can impact the organization? as a whole?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, thinking about how do organizations typically go about, um, you know, hiring a consultant or doing a workshop. um, And and this isn't true across the board, but there's one way in which that happens that seems to be less productive, which is, you know, one person, maybe it's an HR person, maybe it's, you know, a, a sales manager. You know, reads an article and gets inspired, and has some you know some money for training, and says, "I want to hire somebody." Brings them in, and they do a workshop, and that's it, right? So, in four hours, the whole organization is now supposed to be, you know, productive, effective, efficient listeners. I mean, like, no, it's it's not a dog and pony show where, you know, now everybody's uh, great because they've done a four-hour workshop on active listening or whatever the case might be. Now, it doesn't mean that it won't benefit those people, but if an organization wants to really um, you know, improve based fundamentally on listening, what what I say is that, that they, need, they need to infuse the very culture of their organization with what I call a listen-first mindset or a listen-first culture. Um, and so it starts at the top. It starts with that C-suite with the buy-in from that level to really be um, sort of listening first rather than, you know, speaking first um, or, um, you know, management heavy hierarchy top down. Um, And it's more than just, well, we have a box outside the CEO's office where you can put a three by five note card in, right? This is more, it's more than that. It's more than just those simple, you know, technologies that allow for voices to feel heard. It really is an infusion at every level of the organization of a culture of listening. Uh, and, and again, it starts at the top, but it, but it definitely needs to touch uh, every part of the organization. So, you know, right now, probably the, 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 you know, uh, main investment uh, is within diversity and inclusion. And we see good examples of that where organizations really infuse at every level, not only diversity, but inclusion, all voices and all perspectives are uh, uh, included. Um, and then we see bad examples of that, like you know, Starbucks uh, you know shuts down their stores for one day and does implicit bias training. I'm not saying implicit bias training isn't good. I'm not saying it doesn't fundamentally work at some level. What I am saying is if you expect your entire organization to be changed, even by a one full day workshop, Um, you're probably, you know, um, missing the point of of how to change fundamentally your organization from what it is now, which may or may not be focused on listening first to what it could be, which is sort of a full-fledged acknowledgement that we at every level of the organization don't always show up as the best listeners in all contexts. If we're going to basically out of one corner of our mouth in the organizational realm say, of course, employee communication and listening is important. And in fact, on all of the surveys that are given to all of the C-level executives and organizations, communication skills, listening skills, team skills are always number one. They're always Mm -hmm. number one or number two or three. They're always at the top, right? There's still a gap. Absolutely. 80 or 90% say this is important. And then you say, well, how much money did you spend last year on this? Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. I just want my employees to go out and read what they, well, you want them to Google good listening and then you want, I mean, come on, right? So if you're, if you're claiming that it, it is important, if you're claiming it, you know, most organizations will claim sort of listening to consumers as their, you know, that's what we do. That's what makes us different. We are a listening organization. And they may not use that language explicitly, but they definitely have that somewhere in their organizational mission statements or whatever, right? If you're mm-hmm. going to claim that, then what are you doing to actually create that culture in your organization? What are you actually doing to make that change? Uh, and so for me, the organizations that I would prefer to work with and the ones that I've been fortunate enough to work with are um, sort of, you know, willing to make that leap, willing to make that investment and, and to, to know that it's going to take resources, money and time and energy, and it's going to take, you know, it's not going to be overnight. You didn't get to be the organization you are today from yesterday and so you're not going to be the organization you want to be tomorrow if we start today so it's going to be a long-term process it's going to take time and it may take more than one consultant more than one individual more than one set of training programs Uh, and so you know how do we as practitioners and consultants sort of create coalitions where Raquel is an expert in x and Graham is an expert in y and Sally and Joe are experts in a b and c And how do we band together and sort of, you know, bring in the experts in those areas to to infuse within the organization that notion of a listen first culture?
0: Um, You know, a lot of times in organizations, they have these projects and it's one project on another, you know, upon another. And sometimes, you know, I think people get tired of all the projects that they have to work on. And but listening is this is it doesn't have to be another project. What it what it is, is, is how to integrate the listening first into what is already there so that it works whatever whatever is there works. I think a lot of times you have these projects in place and people are just, you know, pushing, 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 uh, moving forward, doing the checklist, you know, checkmarking the checklist mm-hmm. and then like change management. And then everybody's like, okay, it's done, but it's really not done. Um, and, you know, if to really take a mo- take some time to not only do the training, because it takes like you, even when you were talking about the echo listening profile or the training, I mean, there's a lot of self-awareness. People th- Think it's easy, or even when you first started, or when I first started, we think it's easy. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh my gosh, there's so much more to so this. So much than more. What right. we first, you know, and this is not as easy as what we thought. And so that awareness, and then it takes practice. And we'll do it good with in some situations with some people, but when the pressure is on <laughs> and we're stressed, <laughs> what happens? And how do we inter- how do we manage that? Um, and then what are maybe some things we can integrate, whether it's setting certain structures up, systems, or besides the training that support that it's possible to listen first. You know, like if we have a, a, a even board level team meeting, do we go around and listen to everyone's perspective first before we start discussing? You know. Um, Are we making sure that the voices that are normally not heard, that we we're finding ways to hear them, you know, and we're just listening, not that we have to agree, not that we have to do anything, but we're taking it in. Maybe like you said, the different perspectives of different types of listening. Yeah. It's just intricate, interesting to think about how to integrate it into what's already there.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and what you just said about agreement, right? (laughs) Like the myth that, you know, well, if I don't agree with them or If I don't implement whatever it is their suggestion is, then, you know, if I'm not willing to, you know, to do that, then why even bother listening to that perspective? And and that misses the point, right? Listening isn't agreeing. Listening isn't always um, changing, you know, um, maybe it is changing a little bit, but but it absolutely is, you know, first and foremost, the uh, suspension of your own um, sort of understanding, your own agenda and the opening uh, of the possibility that other people have other perspectives that are different from yours, but equally valid, or maybe even more valid. Um, Also, in combination with that, wrestling with the notion that not all opinions are created equal, right? If someone is willing, is wanting to demean and dehumanize other people, if someone has an opinion that fundamentally questions someone's level of humanity, that's not a perspective that I would encourage people to listen very much to, right? right? Now, we need to understand it right? I mean, that's the tricky part here. We need to understand those perspectives um, and we need to figure out where they're coming from and why they exist, right? So we need to understand white supremacy, not because we need to appreciate it or put it up on a pedestal next to other perspectives, but we do need to understand it because first of all, it exists. And second of all, there's a reason that people entered in to that movement, right? And there's a really brilliant guy named Christian Picciolini, who is a former white supremacist here in the States, um, led one of the sort of preeminent white supremacist groups back in the eighties and nineties. And he now works to remove people from those groups. And what he says is um, that he listens for potholes. He listens for what are those moments in people's lives that created the opening for a group like the KKK or whatever it might be to be the answer for that individual and what he's come to the conclusion based on his own experience and listening to others is that it's about belonging. It's about relationships that people join those movements because they see them as an opportunity to belong to something bigger than themselves. And of course, in those situations they're hoodwinked and otherwise tricked into believing that hating other people is the way to belong. But it's the same reason that we all seek out groups of other people. It's that notion of we have a fundamental need to belong. And the reason I say all this to get off a little bit off track is that that all perspectives need to be understood, even if we are not saying that those perspectives need to be the ones that drive our business decisions or our life decisions or our family decisions. But they need to be understood because they are perspectives that likely you know in some cases drag down our business or, or or otherwise are impediments or distortions that disallow our business from moving forward and so the the goal of listening isn't agreement it can be but it doesn't have to be the goal of listening has to be understanding that's that's a goal of listening that that just has to be there so it's a necessary but insufficient condition for listening right It's not the, it's not the entirety of why we listen, but at a fundamental level, listening first to understand is kind of what we need to be operating under, whether we are parents or organizational leaders or teachers or fill in the blank for whatever it is that the profession that you're in, the listen, listen first to understand is, is is, can benefit, um, everybody.
0: And if I may, um, understanding just for clarification does not mean understanding the content only. Correct. Because sometimes people think it's only about what people say, what comes out loud, but there's so much more to understand. We have to understand ourselves and understand where we're coming from, our perspectives, also understanding what might be triggering us in these perspectives, also with others. And there is so much to the context or to the history or who knows, there's so much more to understand than just the words sometimes that come out of people's mouths.
1: Yeah, the, the academic and me, you know, takes from that, that there's two meanings to any message. There's the content level meaning, which is the words, add up all the dictionary definitions of the words and you get the content level meaning. And the second level of meaning is the relational level of meaning. Every time I speak a message, I'm telling you how I see you and how I see me and how I see us in this relationship. Um, and so the understanding goes deeper than just the content. Absolutely. Uh, The the practitioner in me, um, you know, basically this notion of listen first to understand comes from the nonprofit that I help run called Listen First Project. And we work with about three hundred and twenty five or so organizations across the country that do dialogue and deliberation work. Some are in this kind of bridging divides and bridging difference space. Uh, Others are in other kinds of, of spaces. But fundamentally, when these groups do conversation work, when they bring people across difference together, they have these guides for how to have a productive conversation. And, you know, the guides are all very, very similar. And they have this sort of, you know, some iteration of something like um, a a guide called um, my favorite one comes from uh, the William Winter Institute here in uh, Mississippi, uh, and it reads uh, Turn to Wonder. Like when you find yourself triggered or otherwise wanting to respond in, in a way that projects your perspective you know instead of doing that turn to wonder wonder what caused this person to believe this way how, how could this individual um you know think um it, th- that this is true like what in their life has created the situations that would lead them to this belief and not in a hostile way like how could you believe that but in in a curious way um, and so like living room conversation says, you know, um, be less furious and be more curious. So whatever your catchy, pithy tagline is, it's, it's about, again, shedding your perspective, shedding your agenda, at least for the moment, and turning to wonder and to seeking to understand the why. As you say, not just the content, but what is underlying this person's belief what's causing this person to tick in this way and what's leading them to the conclusion that they're coming to. And if we can understand that, we can understand that person a little bit better and we can potentially either agree to disagree or we can change our perspective or we can attempt eventually to change their perspective. Or we can do kind of this meta-modern thing, which is to take those two perspectives and create something new out of it. right? And and that to me, uh, if it's possible to do that, um, with perspectives that are equal and not necessarily, you know, one is, is kind of unbalanced on the side of hate or something crazy like that. If we, if we can create something new out of my perspective and your perspective, right, that's that's beautiful, right? That's that's what listening, right, fundamentally to me is, is kind of um, uh, geared toward.
0: You know, I had a couple of situations recently with some of my coaching clients where they had challenges with an individual, you know, when um, I think one was thought that the person didn't like them and the other one thought there was some competition because of the position she might be getting promoted to. There was, you know, some of these type of situations were, which are pretty typical in the uh, business world. And, and um, they were worried, you know, um, and they had good intentions, but they were worried because this was their perception. And so what I told them to do and what they, what they did is the next time they got together with these people in different situations, all they were supposed to do was to be curious, just to go in with curiosity. And they didn't say that. They just did it, right? And in both situations afterwards, they're like, oh, my gosh, this curiosity stuff is magic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like exactly. superpower yeah. here, you know? What's your
1: superpower? Whoa. Not <laughs> curiosity. Like
0: this is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it was really interesting. By just being curious, It first of all, it helped neutralize them because they were more relaxed right? Mm-hmm. And they were more relaxed and they were interested in the person and the person probably that influences the other person. And then that other those people were also either took a step back and gave them space mm-hmm. or became interested in them. I thought it was really, it was just really interesting. Loved it.
1: Yeah. And, and I've gotten this question before. I, I, I sometimes teach this notion of an 80-20 rule that you ought to listen 80% of the time and speak 20% of the time. And um, I don't know where it, you know, where that, comes from originally, I read it in a book called, um, uh, power listening or something by Bernard Ferna- uh, Ferrari. Um, it's a kind of professional book, uh, anyway, that, that general rule. And of course people are like, well, what if both people show up, you know, with that mindset? And I said,
0: what a wonderful conversation that would be. <laughs> it'll be, a much, it'll be much more effective. You guys will be out of the meeting in 20 minutes.
1: <laughs> I said, ima- imagine if you did that in business meetings or in faculty meetings or in, you know, like Wouldn't you want to be? And they're like, oh, yeah, we could have shorter meetings. (laughs) You you came in here saying that meetings are a waste of time. So why are you wasting your time speaking? Why don't you uh, instead spend the time more efficiently listening? And of course, that's um, if we if we had conversations where we all listened 80 percent of the time and spoke 20 percent of the time or in your in your example, if we all came to conversations curious about each other, it's not like, why is that a bad thing? Why is our initial reaction? It's because we've been taught that talking is power, that speaking is leading. And if instead, again, if we infuse organizations and we infuse societies with the flip of that, which is listening is power, right? Listening is leading. How much more effective and efficient and productive and kind, right, would we be as organizations, as societies, as people, uh, and that's really kind of my mission at this point in my uh, academic career and my personal career, um, and, and 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 to be honest, it's it's my personal sort of mission as well in my family because that's where I listen the worst, right? It's <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, I think that's with all of
1: us because we have so much stake in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why is that, right? When I when I you know come come out of my office, well, I used to come home, but now I'm I'm home and I come you know, I, I go from one part of my home to another. Why is it that, that, that I'm not putting the same amount of energy into my family that I've just put into my work? And I can up yeah. with all kinds of excuses and justifications, but where I really ought to be trying to listen the best is with my family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so right now, you know, you're working from home <laughs> thanks to uh, COVID, yeah. and, you know, and uh, everybody is, your kids are also uh, studying at home, right? They are Yeah, virtual school. How, what have you noticed about listening under these particular circumstances?
1: You know, I haven't necessarily noticed anything different per se, but the issues, the challenges are more kind of front and center, right? Mm-hmm. when you're when when you wake up and take your you know you have maybe you know twenty minutes with your kids in the morning after everybody's rushing around, um, th- there's not a lot of time to pay attention to how you are. Right. It's just like, we need to get in the car. We need to go to school. We need to get you on the bus, whatever the case might be. And then, you know, then they're at, at school for eight hours and maybe at after school for a couple of hours after that, while, you know, the, you know, the, the where I'm working until, you know, four or five o'clock or whatever. And then I pick them up and then, I, and then they might have soccer, you know, and then they're, you know, then we're at home having dinner and going to bed. So like I, how long, of uh, how long did I spend with my kids? Of course I can be, you know, empathic and compassionate and so forth for, you know, 45 minutes, you know, (laughs) now I have to be that way, not for 45 minutes, but for four or five or eight or 10 or 12 hours. Right. Um, And so the, the issues, the, the conflicts, the not being my best self is on full display um, because I'm, I'm having to potentially be more mindful in thinking through how do I need to be right now? I have to do that right more. Um, And, you know, because we often take our families for granted more than we take other people for granted um, you know, it's easier to slip into those bad habits. Um, So yeah, it's, it's more challenging because it's more important. It's more challenging because it's more consequential. I'm not just leading an organization. I'm not just leading a team. I'm like, um, socializing my kids, right? I'm I'm putting in their brains the messages that they will remember for the rest of their lives. I'm creating a schema for how they act in their own marriages. I'm creating a schema for how they expect their friends to act toward them, right? I'm creating a little person uh, and I'm doing that hopefully in a way that's the best for me and for them and for our contexts. But the fact that when I slip up and make mistakes, it has such you know, much more profound implications. It's scary. And it's, mm. you know, um, um, anyway, it's, 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 it's scary. It's, yeah. and, and so that I think because of the, um, you know, because of the possibilities and the, and the problems, I don't know what I'm trying to say here other than like, it's, it's more important. And mm. because we're spending so much more time together, it becomes yeah. even more
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. It does um, bring, it does open up the book for us to learn a lot about ourselves, you know, our whole selves, and our family and um, for us to experience our humanness at the same time, you know, even if sometimes we're like, Oh, my gosh, I hope I didn't just traumatize my child by what I just did. And I know better because the research says this, (laughs) man.
1: At least I know how to fix it. Right. At
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> At least we can say sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, okay. So let's go back to, to the very beginning of uh, this podcast. We talked about that um, when it comes to listening, that we use, listening is learned. We listen in ways that we learn, I guess, from our parents, from the way we grew up um, and those, and how we listen is often influenced by what we grew up with, I guess. Is that um, how you would describe it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we learn, you know, to be marital partners, you know, life partners by observing our guardians, our parents, our mm-hmm. you know, whoever it is that that raises us. We, we learn to be, you know, certain types of friends from, you know, how, you know, both our parents tell us how to be friends, but, but also mm-hmm. how we are or are not interacting with our friends. Uh, we learn to be certain types of people in organizations by, you know, watching and observing other people. So, yeah, I mean, it's not that our, you know, uh, DNA. It's not that our biology doesn't influence who we are. There's clearly, you know, heritable traits that are passed down from our parents, and those do influence how we tend to show up as listeners and communicators. So, we don't we don't really know how much of listening um, is heritable. Um, I mean, there's certainly an ability to do that research. Uh, If anybody listening wants to, you know, fund that research, give me a call. Um, You know, but but at the same time, a lot of how we show up as listeners definitely is learned. I mean, we we know fundamentally that that um, it's not totally inborn, that we're not completely, uh, you know, we're not a, a complete you know blank slate, but we're also not completely programmed and ready to go when we're born. So yeah, we do learn. Um, the, the ways in which we, um, you know, should support other people, how we should handle conflict, how we should X, Y, and Z. Um, and, you know, if you want to know how you handle things, just look how your kids handle them. I mean, it's like they're many <laughs> uh, yeah. yous know, to a certain extent. Now, they're not exact replicas, Mm-mm. but a lot of the behaviors that you manifest when you deal with conflict, watch your kids when they deal with conflict. You'll see some of you in that.
0: And so let's say that um, if we, let's say we were to, if I grew up in a, in a family where listening didn't work very well, or I, or I, or I noticed certain behaviors that I have that, you know, I think, oh, that's not really great listening. Now I know better. I've taken these listening trainings. I've had this coaching and, um, and I want to improve my listening. Um, uh, Do you, I don't know if you know anything, if there's any research about, um, are we able to unlearn our old listening patterns and relearn new ones, would you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, Now, I I don't I couldn't point you to a study that shows that unlearning process. But, you know, in my own coaching and consulting work, using the echo listening profile, for instance, uh, I do see that light bulb moment. I do see the awareness. And again, it's not overnight. It's not like, oh, now I'm the best listener ever because, you know, I did a four hour workshop with Graham. But but it is the start of a longer kind of change process that can um, it help you improve and shift and change, um, uh, you know. And it, it's also the case that that I can um, I can come away from a you know non ideal um, you know parental home situation, and, and and I can be the kind of kid that puts it in my head at an early age that I'm not going to be like that, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So so it can go both ways, right? It can, it can definitely go both ways. Um, But there are some behaviors, I mean, there's some behaviors, some parenting behaviors that I found myself sort of navigating toward, um, you know, because of my parents that were positive and some that were problematic. Um, And same with my wife. And we went through a, a course when we were early parents called Blueprints. And that was the whole point of the program was to suggest that we had a blueprint developed over our own socialization, a schema for what it means to be a parent and how to be a parent and and we talked through that and we talked about what are the most positive elements of my wife's blueprint what are the most positive elements of my blueprint what are the what are some elements that we need to bring in from other blueprints and how do we create you know our own parenting style based on that and i think the same thing is true for listening can we go to a blueprint what's my blueprint for listening and what's your blueprint for listening? What are the most positive elements of that, given the ways in which we need to be interacting? And how can we create a new blueprint together?
0: Yeah, um, and, I love that I think, idea.
1: Yeah. And I think that's kind of the way um, that, that we can improve. And, and again, it's not overnight and it does take time and it takes effort. But if people are claiming that the, these things are important, then they will put forth the effort to do them better.
0: I'm going to shift just I have a few more topics I'd love to ask you about while I have you here. Um sure. One is I know that you've done some work on empathy. This is one thing. I'd love to ask you a little bit about that because that's a hot topic out there. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing is um, I know you mentioned in your handbook there was a few uh, topics also on, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, future listening or listening into the future, something mm-hmm. like that. And this is also something that I hear come up in this, in my world with people I talk to, which is, um, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that also. Um, let's start with empathy. Um, maybe you can, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk out there, you know, being empathetic and empathy. It's this big, you know, this, this word that's being used a lot, even though I'm not sure if, um, people quite understand fully what that really means. Um, how would you approach empathy or what do you know about empathy that might support our listeners on this call?
1: Yeah. So um, to me, a listening approach to empathy is what I would call a third way to understand that term. So there's two primary ways right now that that seem to be leading the conversation about what is empathy. The first is, you know, empathy is um, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. That's the more popular version, right, is you take your shoes off, you slip your feet into someone else's shoes and you walk around for a little while and you're like, ah, this is how this person experiences the world. Right now that's not bad necessarily, but you know, I'm also not under the illusion that if I take my shoes off and put yours on, that I all of a sudden know what it means to live, you know, a couple of decades as a female. It's just, I'm never going (laughs) to be able to know that I can't know what it's like to be a female in uh, a, a corporate culture or, being interrupted three more times, you know, because because of the the bio, my biological sex, right? I just don't know what that feels like, and I never will, right? So walking a mile in someone else's shoes is one way, but research suggests that um, using those kinds of prompts don't actually allow people to fully take the perspective of the other individual, and you know, and so forth. And the, so the other way that 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 that, is, that empathy is prompted is instead of taking off my shoes, it's it's staying in my shoes. And in imagining or um, projecting myself, right? What would I think if I were in that situation? And research suggests that that's a little bit of a better strategy than putting myself in your shoes. So it's, you know, so it's your shoes or my shoes, right? And, And my suggestion is that listening, that a listening approach to empathy is no shoes and no socks, right? It's called barefoot listening is what I've started to play with. And this um, sort of idea is that even though I'll never know what it's like to fully be you or to be a person like you, I can sit next to you. I can sit beside or, or sometimes behind you and I can listen. I can ask you questions and I can listen to your answers. Again, it goes back to that curiosity, right? Right. And if I do that and and part of barefoot listening then is, is relaxing and staying a while being open to this conversation may take us more than the 30 minutes that I think I have today. Right. And so being comfortable with saying, I want to know more, I don't have the time right now to do that. Can we set aside some time tomorrow or the next day where I can listen to you again? Right. Um, And so it's this, you know, a different approach um, and it's, uh, in, in the emotional support literature, it's called um, build, it's, it's, it's basically uh, if you're going to give someone advice, right? What you need to do before that is build up to that advice. You can't just bald on record sort of just shout your advice and expect somebody to follow that advice. Because if you're giving advice, you're assuming that you understand the problem. And if you understand the problem, you're assuming you asked the questions and you really fully took the time to understand what that problem is from that, you know, from that person's point of view and perspective and life experiences. The only way for me to know your life experience is to listen to you. I can't put your shoes on and I can't project myself into your situation, but I can listen to you into your perspective. And, and that's just a little bit different take on what empathy is, I think, from a listening perspective.
0: Well, I love that perspective because we can't assume that we know exactly what that person is and to recognize and be aware that we're bringing our perspective into even also listening to your perspective. I think that's really important. Yeah. 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 Because that awareness, um, then we're more aware of our assumptions, biases, not always because a lot of them are really subconscious there, but more likely, more likely. Absolutely. The other question was in future listening. Tell me more about listening to the future
1: what we did in the book at the end, we called it emerging perspectives. And what we said is that there are um, several sort of contemporary perspectives on listening ones that stand to push scholarship forward and into the next several decades. Um, And what we wanted to include in that section is a whole bunch of stuff. What we ended up being able to include in that section for a variety of reasons are four chapters um, one is called performative listening. Um, it's this notion of um, listening that comes out of performance studies, um, and um, it, it, it's sort of founded in the idea that listening shapes how we relate to and know the world, um, that um, performance is the central metaphor for communication and really for life in general, Um, And so performative listening is defined as um, uh, kind of um, a a, a practice that can be analyzed and evaluated, um, conceived of as an embodied and sensory practice that ideally promotes an ethical, reflective and dialogic way of encountering others. Um, So it's it it takes a relational stance. It's dialogic. It's transformative. All these big multisyllabic words, basically. Um, uh, that, that suggests that it's a different, it's, it's an ontology. It's a way of being Um, if performance is a way of being then listening as performance is a different way of being in the world. Uh, The second chapter is augmented reality. And it, and it looks at the literature on um, you know, uh, this, what is listening uh, when we are kind of, you know, disembodied through technology. Um, The third of those chapters is building peace through listening, it's not that dialogue and deliberation and peace building are new, but the concept of listening within that uh, discipline, within that field, um, it has not really been fully unpacked. In fact, I'm working on a, a, a third book right now um, that unpacks listening in community engagement and peace building work. So we've invited like 20 scholars to contribute chapters, and we're vetting that through a publisher right now to really figure out what li- what is listening in these contexts, what are its possibilities and what are its limitations right. for building peace yeah. especially in our kind of hyper violent um, context right now in America and across the world where people are more and more comfortable with violence to settle political differences what does that mean for the power of listening and the limitations of listening to different perspectives when you yeah. have things like militia trying to capture you know leaders I mean yeah. these kinds of crazy things that are happening like is listening even something that we should be advancing as a possible solution. And then the final, final one is called silence. And again, silence has been a theoretical concept in multiple literatures for decades, but the relationship between silence and listening hasn't fully been kind of theorized. And so we wanted to have a chapter and it, it was fun to end the book on silence. Right. So that's, yeah, the last, that's lovely. Yeah. That's the last chapter of the book.
0: Yeah. I'm really excited to know more about those, you know, the, in terms of like even the silence,
1: we wanted to have a chapter on um listening to the universe. We couldn't find anybody to to write that chapter. We had, we had tried like 3 or 4 people and we just kind of gave up at that point, but there there they the scientists physicists are, are um starting to understand um more about the universe not from looking but from listening, from blasting sound waves into the universe mm-hmm. and then listening to how those sound waves do or do not respond as they bounce off of other, I mean, they, they know the, the existence of stars and planets and so forth by listening, um, not by looking. <laughs> it's cool, right? That's really cool.
0: <laughs> I'd lo- Yeah. My mind just got blown away.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 And then there, and then there's a guy named Seth Horowitz that writes, he's a biologist and we tried to get him in the book and and um, we couldn't uh, secure that chapter, but he's got an excellent, um, Book out. Um, I forget the name of the book, but you can search Seth Horowitz, where he talks about the, the physiology, the biology of listening within different animal species and how humans are different and similar in some ways to things like bats and frogs. So we can learn a lot from how other animals listen in um, the, the ways in which humans, you know, for instance, our, our hair cells don't regenerate like a, a frog's hair cells. Um, and what that means for losing our listening, something called presbycusis when it's age-related, and then, of course, something that's called just hearing loss in general when it's caused by loud noises, mm-hmm. um, and, and what would it mean? And, that, and then it bleeds into our, uh, architecture, which we do have a chapter on in the book, um, and how do we design spaces that are um, designed in a way to think about our auditory environment, not just our visual environment. Yeah. So yeah. looking at the nature of aesthetics, not as a visual only phenomenon, but as an auditory phenomenon as well. And that chapter really um, takes to task contemporary approaches to uh, architecture that don't always appreciate past approaches, which actually did take more seriously audiology and sound, um, you know, several thousand years ago. We've, We've become much more of a visual society, and that's that's true. Um, in a lot of aspects of our lives, including the way in which cities are designed, they're not necessarily designed with noise in mind, but mm-hmm. they should be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so all these kinds of ways of thinking about what listening is—it's it's, really it's, exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to, to play with all, all those together in one book was really kind of a, a joy to do.
0: Yeah, well, it's a great book. <laughs> i you know, I w- I hope it would be great. Um, to see this book in, you know, more listening courses in universities because yes, I think yeah. we, there's not enough courses of, list, of uh, listening in the universities. And this is great that we have this now, a door opener to getting more, more accreditation of listening.
1: It'd be and, wonderful. Uh, Thank you. Yeah,
0: that yeah, <laughs> would be great. Um, so Graham, this has been a great conversation. Um, is there something that I haven't asked you that you would love to be asked?
1: No, um, yeah, it was. It was. You know, I'm sure there's lots of questions. You know, I, I'm a little bit too, um, you know, wrapped up in how how great it was to say that you didn't ask something necessarily. I always take the opportunity to to, to plug what I'm working on now, which is um, again, Listen First Project is a nonprofit, largely based in the U.S., but we have some partners in other countries, uh, the Netherlands, Lithuania, and um, the U.K., for instance. And so people can find out more about what we're doing there at ListenFirstProject.org. Um, they can sign the listen first pledge and commit to, you know, doing more to listen first, to understand in their daily lives. Um, so I just encourage people to, to look at listening as a possible solution to the, the sort of tearing of our social fabric, whether that's ca- capital P political or lowercase P political. Um, we, we believe that li- there's a lot of power in listening across difference to heal, um, to heal divides.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah so if there's if there's one thing that you would love for listeners just to take away with them, what would that be?
1: Think about in your life the way in which your um, opinion about the importance of listening is matched with the fervor with which you seek to really cultivate it, and if there's a mismatch there, then. What can you do to really um, kind of put your money or your energy or your resources where your mouth is, so to speak, right? Mm. Um, Or maybe there's a listening metaphor that's better. (laughs) Put put your money where your ears are. But uh, uh, how can we bridge that gap? And I'm not saying you need to spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year on it. And, and, and write big old checks to, to do it. But but how much more time could you be spending cultivating a listen first mentality and mindset within yourself, within your family, within your organization, um, and then seeking out those resources that are backed by science, that are backed by research, not just, you know, Googling and finding the first thing that appears on Google, you know, for for whatever it is, the, the question that you have that they fervently seeking out the best resources um, for for learning more about listening.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Graham. It's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, thank you so much. And I'm sure that another time, another place, I could probably take each one of the topics we talked about and go deeper. So hopefully, I can have you on the podcast again.
1: So so thankful for the opportunity. Thank you.
0: I am your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy. And I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Please subscribe and like this podcast and share it with others so we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in.